Hey guys, quick heads up before we get started. We had a little bit of a technical hiccup. We left a fan on while we were recording. There's some weird static in the background. It's not that bad, but you know, I just didn't want you to think that we were like cutting up wood with chainsaws while we were talking. It's a little tiny thing. I hope you'll bear with us this week. Thanks. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Caitlin, and I really don't want to die. That was really dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dan. I love to write stories. I'm Cameron, and I can be motivated by bacon. I'm Kristen, and I'm motivated by money. <laughs> Way to be honest, Kristen. <laughs> Great. I didn't know it was going to come out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> joined by Mikkel George, who is an editor at Flux Publishing and is also the author of Speak Easy, Speak Love. Mikkel, tell us about yourself. Hi, thanks for having me on this podcast. Uh, like you said, my debut comes out in like a little over a week, which is pretty exciting. It's a retelling of Shakespeare's Much Do About Nothing set in the 1920s speakeasy. I live in downtown Salt Lake City, and I also work as a reference librarian at the Salt Lake City Public Library, so I'm just surrounded by books all the time, which is how I like it. <laughs> me too. I wish I could be. What are you motivated by, Mikkel? I... I'm also motivated by money, not wanting to die, bacon, and writing good stories. So I feel like I'm in good company. Oh, you're multidimensional. <laughs> okay, so if you haven't noticed, today we are talking about character motivation and stakes. So what is character motivation? I would say that character motivation is the driving force behind your protagonist. It's what makes them get up in the morning. It's what makes them make whatever hard decisions they have to make. It's a mashup of all the background and context surrounding them that basically pushes them. All of us are doing things that we don't necessarily want to do each day. So obviously we're motivated by something to get us to do those things. And life isn't just, well, I'm assuming that your life isn't just you doing things you want to do all the time. And we can understand people better if we know their motivations in a story. Motivations aren't necessarily just about why you do things you don't want to do. Motivations can also be really important when you're talking about things you do want to do. If you have a character who's constantly engaging in, in like charitable giving, for example, what is it about charitable giving that makes them want to do it rather than any of the other good things that they could be doing? Or likes to engage in like self-destructive behavior or likes drinking a whole lot. There are lots of things that could be causing your character to do something rather than to not do something. That's like, a good point. Like Voldemort. Literally, his main motivation is that he refuses to die. That's like fleeing from death, Voldemort. And so, I'm not sure I like that I'm identified. With I yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Mikkel? Yeah, I think that those things absolutely inform story and deciding what would happen if the character got exactly what they wanted and what is the best thing that could happen to them and the worst thing that could happen to them is what sets up the stakes. So stakes and motivation are like directly linked. Okay. So do you want to break that down while you kind of just did? What's the difference between motivation and stakes? I think kind of what you guys are already saying, motivation is why you're doing something, whether you want to do it or not to do it. But the stakes are the consequences of your actions. So Voldemort, he doesn't want to die. So he creates horcruxes. He kills a lot of people. You know, what's what's at stake? Just 
for him and also for all the people around him in the story and kind of the consequences and the results of getting what you want or not getting what you want. I think it's hard to have a coherent story with suitable amount of tension if you don't know what the stakes are for your character just because if you don't know why they're invested you're going to have a really hard time being invested in that same thing. I think that's a place that people slip up sometimes, actually, is people make the stakes too big for the individual character to feel like they would actually be motivated to to have that be their stakes. A lot of times people think, let's make this story more epic or more exciting, like they want to make the world what's at stake. But it's really difficult to buy that or feel attached to that through the lens of just one character. Yeah, and you can you can do that by adding a more personal stake, like in the Hunger Games, where it is all these districts and all these people that are at stake, but Katniss has a personal stake in it because her sister gets put up for tribute. In my opinion, many stakes are relative. Going off of so many stories put the world at stake. When I watch Age of Ultron, we have this big final battle where Meteor is going to hit the Earth and wipe everybody out, and... I felt nothing the entire time. It was maybe entertaining, but I wasn't really afraid about anything. And meanwhile, when I was reading Watership Down for the first time, which is about rabbits, um, the final battle is one rabbit fighting another rabbit. And as stupid as this sounds, I was totally engaged the whole time to two rabbits fighting each other. And because the stakes were very well established and something I understood. I think a lot of times... With stakes, it's as we were mentioning earlier, you're talking about what the inclination is to make it epic. What you have to realize is that people latch onto stakes that they themselves are familiar with. So, for example, our guest here is extremely relatable to all of us because we all also share her motivations. So, then theoretically, we would also share the same um, outcomes that we want or don't want, etc. So, kind of what you were getting at with Age of Ultron. I don't, at least, speaking for the people in this room, maybe, I don't think any of us are familiar with having the weight of the world's population on our shoulders. That's not something that we as a person can don't at least... Make assumptions, Cameron. <laughs> Most likely, <laughs> it's not something we as individuals can relate to having experienced before. Whereas, personally, I've never been in a life or death struggle with one other person, but that is much closer to what most people have experienced than the entire world. Back to Mikkel's example... I think most of us have family members. Even if it's not a sister, you can relate to not wanting your family members to be hurt or to leave them, either one. So here's the question. then: How do you go about establishing stakes and making it clear in your writing without necessarily like, this is what's going to happen if I lose and this is what's going to happen if I win? Because that's not always the best way to do it. Well, going back to like the Hunger Games example... I think that if we were just told in the beginning, like, Katniss really loves her sister, and that would be hard if she's taken, it would feel a little false and a little Mm -hmm. contrived when, oh, well, conveniently, now she's being taken. But you have the whole opening scene where you see them interacting together and you see their relationship. So I think you have to kind of establish those emotional tent poles and create that empathy, like Caitlin was saying, because as long as you can relate to it as a reader... Like, oh, yeah, I, even though I've not been in this specific situation, I know how it feels to want for this thing or to worry about this thing. And that comes through emotion and empathy, which I think that you show just in general, like in writing with concrete details, with good dialogue, it all kind of comes down to craft. Along with the Hunger Games, where Hunger Games intensive today, Suzanne Collins actually kind of, she sets that up really well because she has us worrying about Gail, because Gail is the one who has all of 
the lots put in the basket, and the whole time Katniss isn't even worried about her sister. Okay. (laughs) So what are ways that we mess this up? That's kind of the question you're asking too, Kristen. How do we mess up setting up stakes and character motivations? I think something that can be really difficult for a writer is that humans a lot of times have really mixed motivations. And so it's not always clear. Yeah. It's not always clear why I want to do something. Like I'm not even sure what like motivation is. It can be a lot of things and they conflict. And I think it's really hard to get that amount of confusion in a book. And I'm not sure that you necessarily should do that because sometimes it comes across as really confusing to readers just because it seems like the character's not making sense. And so I think if you do it with a delicate hand, you can you can make it work. But a lot of times it just uh, results in a big question mark from your reader. I don't know if that's helpful at all. <laughs> Motivations, realistically, are usually really complex. It's rare to come across something as pure as, I want to keep my sister alive. Uh, the trick is not to finding a way to have your character state what their motivation yeah. is, necessarily. Um, but rather having them be an active character at all. A character who's choosing things and who things aren't just happening to them. And they're sort of passively reacting to them all the time. And I think that a lot of times what I see in queries and first chapters is like this thing is happening. Like, oh, I discover, for example, like a portal into a new world. And I'm like, but why do I care if you go into that portal? And mm-hmm. oh, why do I care if you make it home? And those are the things that are not as clear. So so motivation can kind of be complexed and layered and maybe even hidden a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it has to inform the stakes. And the stakes, I think, do have to be clear in the story that we know why we should care about the plot and action that's happening as it's happening. And that needs to be established pretty quickly. Pretty quick. yeah. yeah. I was about to say, this isn't necessarily something you could do for a book. But Disney movies, especially 90s ones, usually have a scene near the beginning when you figure out what the character's motivation is. Aladdin wants to be understood as something more than a street rat. And Belle wants adventure in the great wide somewhere. Wants it more than she can tell. We don't necessarily have to do that or even should do that for a book. But it's easier, I think, to write a character if you know what motivates them and what they have to lose. That's a really good point, though, because like in musicals, typical one of the songs near the beginning of a musical is going to be the main character explaining what they want. Like in Hamilton, he's not going to throw away a shot. That's like the wanting song, and that drives the rest of the story. And so I think maybe you don't need a wanting song, but you need a wanting scene or a wanting moment where it's clear that character is wanting something and we can know what it is and that we know why it matters to us. So a thing I like to try to do, not necessarily very successful at it, is I like to put a wanting choice really early in the story where you have the number of options where most people could relate to choosing one of them, but then it's going to be really significant which one the character picks. The character chooses something rather than having something happen to them. When I first read The Hunger Games, I thought she was going to get picked for the reaping. I thought that they were going to draw Katniss's name. But no, they picked Prim's name and she got to volunteer. And it's much more powerful because you have Katniss choosing something than having something happen to her. Well, and it tells you a lot about her. So just one other thing I wanted to touch on is that sometimes people fall into the trap of not establishing those stakes for a character and showing them. And so it feels jerky. It feels forced because... You're imposing stakes on a character rather than the character themselves wanting them, if that makes sense. That makes writing you, sound a lot more organic than it really is. Do but, you have, like, an example of what you mean? I maybe have a problem with romance books, but I feel like a lot of times in romance novels, 
there is a lot I like to call it rubber banding I don't know if anybody has ever thought about it this way but I feel like they just snap from one emotion to another you know you start from I'm madly in love with this person to two seconds later I can't stand this person and can't believe I would have ever been with this person in the first place it's just like the typical YA, if only they would just talk to each other, there wouldn't be a plot here. I feel like <laughs> I feel like that happens in an in extreme way sometimes where you just have someone like look at a character funny and they're like, I'm so angry now that I am not going to talk to you and resolve what's going on. Motivational um, whiplash. Yes, there's a better way to say it. <laughs> and so I think as soon as you get into whiplash, that's where I feel like the plot is acting on the characters instead of the characters acting like normal people. There are some characters where you don't find out till much, much later what their motivation is. An example that comes to mind is Snape. But in hindsight, you can the, the clues were there all along that he was motivated by something. So We just thought it was something other than what it was. Yes. And then at the same time, I think it's really important to note that Snape is really, really far from a viewpoint character. That's like true. he's not we're never in his head well i mean yeah, twice actually in the pensive the but... point being for most like blah <laughs> blah 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 percent of the book you're not in his head yeah. so you can get away with not oh, totally. doing that but you can't you can't yeah. do that with first you can't do that with the protagonist, and even though. and even so i think kind of what caitlin is saying is that it you should be consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we don't know the specifics of Snape, he behaves consistently, like consistently yeah, like motivated by the, thing, <laughs> by the thing that we can't see. So no matter what it is, we can believe it because it's so consistent. It's an interesting it's point because whether or not it's correct, Harry assigns motivations to Snape very, very early on, That's and true. they yeah. appear to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's like the hallmark of a really great plot, I think. Maybe not plot, but just really good character development. If you can have one explanation that doesn't actually... It's not correct, but it's consistent, Mm -hmm. so your character can complete it. From a protagonist's point of view, I would recommend looking at the Queen's Thief series by Megan Wayland Turner, where the main character has a consistent motivation the entire first book, but you don't realize what it is until the very end. But in hindsight, it was he was consistent the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he felt consistent from the first perspective as well. Like, when I read it anyway, I, I know some people were like, oh, I suspected something, but I never suspected a thing. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe everything this guy says. So good writing. <laughs> Okay, so we should probably move on to the second portion of the podcast where we spend some time critiquing a submission. We're going to spend the first two minutes on the things that we liked, the things that we felt like the author did really well, and then we'll spend the second portion talking about things that might need another look. We're going to avoid being prescriptive and saying how things should be written or how we would rewrite, rewrite them, but rather how they didn't work for us in particular. So this submission was about... A girl who is on an island, and as we read along, we find out that she is part of a family of sirens, though she is not yet a siren herself. And some men come on the island, and they have a request for the siren queen. They want some political help getting rid of a prince who is in the way. So what do we like about this? Something I thought this author did really well was that there were a lot of characters introduced in these first 10 or so pages. And even though I they had a lot of physical characteristics in common, I felt like they had distinct personalities, and so I was able to tell them apart without too much trouble. And that's something that I think is really hard to do. I mean, at least in a short amount of time to introduce that many people. I think we're probably definitely going to talk more about this when we get to the second look. But I found, so while, while some of the motivations and stakes might have been a little murky getting to the end of the chapter, the chapter ends with what I thought was really great 
clear and established. The main character wants to win the approval and affection of her family, but she can't have it because in order to do that, they want her to do something that she doesn't think she can do. So I think at least at least on that point, while, while getting there might have been a little murky, I think it's a really great launching off point for a driving motivation and stakes for the rest of the story. There was a lot that I liked about the language and the voice as well. I think it had a certain quality that matched a darker retelling of The Little Mermaid really well. It had a kind of almost gothic fairy tale feel sometimes, which I really enjoyed. And I found that the figurative language was easy to read and engaging. So sometimes, yeah, I think some of the story elements got a little fuzzy, but when this, but I could really enjoy it at a sentence level in a lot of places. I agree. She had some really great analogies in there and there was lots of like blood and licking of lips and <laughs> it was, it definitely painted a very clear picture, which I liked. I, for whatever reason, skipped the title and the synopsis so I could go into this blind and I was surprised to find out that this is apparently intended as a Little Mermaid retelling. And I thought, Greek mythology world, she's coming from a family of sirens. This is going to be interesting. This isn't going to be a very clear cut. I know exactly what's going to go down retelling. Just the creativity that went into that thought alone shows a lot of promise in the story. Do we want to move on to things that need a second look? At the beginning, I was really confused by a sense of place. For the first few paragraphs, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be taking place on land or underwater. There was some confusing language, I think, where at one point she compares something to illusions on water, so I automatically thought underwater. And then she's reading a book and sitting on the sand, and I thought overwater. And it was it was a little hard for me to keep track of location. I had that same problem. The very first line talks, I think it's the very first line, talks about how she sees a man, and at first she thinks it's her imagination. And then we find out it's not just one man, but it's multiple men. And then even later than that, we find out that they're men with weapons, and she's this girl by herself on an island where it seems like nobody else lives. And so I feel like that might have been something she noticed a little bit earlier. Yeah, I have the same problem as... You two are, I kept having to restart my opening image of where I'm like, oh, I was picturing this, but now I'm re-picturing this, and now I'm re-picturing this. And the problem to me was that she was kind of opening up with sort of whimsical, pretty language, and like, and I'm like, I can't tell if she's being figurative yeah. or literal here, like if she's saying, you know, like metaphorically this, or like literally there is this, and then having all these details come in gradually and I feel like it needed to be the opposite like if I had like a concrete like I know exactly where we are and where she's sitting and what's happening then I could get more of that stuff kind of branching out and like zooming out a little bit yeah because it's it's really hard to take in even what's happening in the story if you can't find your footing as a reader like you're not sure what to picture or what to think about what is being said generally the order that a character notices things in their environment says a lot about their character so it's, I'm not saying there can't be a character who would notice the spear pointed at them last. I am saying <laughs> that I think it's inconsistent with her actions throughout the rest of it. We don't ever get a reason why she wouldn't be concerned about the man just killing her. We get reasons why maybe if she was one of her siblings, that wouldn't be the case. But she's not her siblings. And in addition, this problem is reinforced later on when she is afraid to have to go out and face more men. So we're not sure why she wasn't afraid in the first place. Something else that confused me a little bit is I felt like we had a little bit of a rubber band effect <laughs> or whiplash where we had her initially when she sees this man or these men, I guess, 
her initial reaction is, you guys need to leave or my mother and my siblings will kill you. But then almost immediately after that, she's like, actually, they probably should. That would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the end, she's really nonchalant about leaving these men to their doom. And that kind of took me off guard, too, because at the beginning, I did get the feeling that she was like hoping to maybe not hoping to protect them, but like not at least desperately wanting their death. So I, I will agree with that. It's hard for me to draw a bead on her. The story, from my understanding of certain tropes, <laughs> it seems like she's supposed to come off as the innocent, impressionable member of the family who's going to get sent on a mission and then change her mind about it some way along the way. But again, she swaps between, oh no, to, oh, okay, let's have them get eaten, and okay, let's not have them get eaten. And It's hard for me to nail down who she was. If I had to guess, the intent was something along the lines of a character who is a good person at heart, so will like them, but was raised in a horrible circumstance. The issue is just that the two extremes that she rubber bands between don't seem to have any dissidence within them. Whereas, I mean, I'm just guessing that a character who would be more like that would more, be more likely to be constantly confused, even if they were able to decide what to do, they would be feeling angst while they did whatever they decided. Or I'd even believe it if something happened so that she was like, oh yeah, I remember why. Or I understand now why my mother and sisters kill all of you men folk people. I'd even buy it if she's just like a flighty character and can't make up her mind. I just need it shown. I was just going to agree because I, I actually think either way is believable to me. It's mm -hmm. believable to me to have someone be like, I know this is what it's expected of me, but I really don't want to and I'm uneasy about it and I'm innocent. And I can also believe, like, someone being really creepily, like, men are the worst and your hearts are for eating. And yeah. <laughs> like, like, I can see, I can see both. And I think I would enjoy both characters yeah. in the story. But, like, having both and not having that kind of combining of them, like you were saying, like, you can have maybe both feelings, but have the, having them both in one moment mm -hmm. instead of being firmly in one camp for half the scene and then firmly in another camp for the other scene. I really, really liked the chapter, so I hope that the person keeps writing it and that they end up creating Because I, I think it's really strong, and honestly, I think clarity is really what it needed. But it was a really mm -hmm. strong opening. All right. Then thank you so much, Mikkel, for hanging out with us today and for Literary Work in Progress. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, Caitlin here. If you're interested in looking at the submission that was featured in today's podcast, you can find it on our website, literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. If you're interested in submitting your work for us to look at, you can find our submission guidelines on that same website. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and comment while you're there because it helps other people to discover our podcast. Thanks and see you next week.